Hi, welcome to the New Story Church podcast. We hope that this week's message encourages you and brings you closer to Jesus. Today we are in week four of our five-week series going over our core values here at New Story. In case you've missed the last few weeks, um, Scott already said that I'm talking about relationships today, but I want to just review where we've been so that you can keep track with us and you know what's, what's coming up. So um, our core values with New Story, we talk a lot about discovering your new story, about living in your new story, and it's easy to think... What does that actually look like? What does that mean to live in your new story? So that's, that's kind of where our core values pop in. There are markers to say, hey, if you're doing these things, then you're living in your new story. So because of the beautiful and most creative Joy Collada, the one and only, our fabulous uh, core values actually spell out story. So it's like even easier for you to remember because... Honestly, I couldn't remember them until she put them in uh, the word story, and now it's like nothing. It's easy. So the first one from the week one is service and celebration. That's our first core value. Our second one is trust. Our third is outstanding effort. Today is relationships, which we're obviously going to dive into on a much deeper level. And then next week, Scott's going to close out our series and talk about yes to God, saying yes to God, being open-handed, and that's going to close out our series about our core values. So today, to talk about relationships, we're going to be jumping into the book of Ruth. Ruth is an Old Testament book um, that kind of covers several characters, but we're really going to focus on the three main characters and pull from their experience to see what kind of relationships, what relational aspects do these characters represent, how can we relate to that, and how can we learn from that. Um, So as a quick, quick run-through of the book of Ruth, I'm going to go through this so fast that it's not even going to give justice to this incredible book, but... You know, I only have so much time up here. So Ruth, we start off with Naomi. She's one of the main characters. You're going to want to remember her name and track with us. So if you're taking notes, write Naomi. So Naomi starts off. She is married and has two sons. She lives in Israel. There's a famine, not so great. They decide, hey, we're going to move. We're going to go to Moab. So they move to Moab. Her two sons get married. They both marry. One of them marries Ruth. Ruth is another name you're definitely going to want to remember for this morning. Naomi and Ruth. Ruth then, naturally, if she married one of the sons, is Naomi's daughter-in-law. We have Naomi. We have Ruth. Some things happen, um, and unfortunately, Naomi's husband passes away, and then both of Naomi's sons pass away, which again is Ruth's husband. One of them is. So we're kind of starting off the story not on a super high note. There's obviously a lot of death, a lot of things that um, were difficult to process. Several things happen with Ruth and Naomi, but they decide to stay together, and they move back to Israel, and this enters Boaz. Boaz is our third character. This is the third person you really need to keep track of this morning, Naomi, Ruth, Boaz. We're like keeping it really simple. It's only three names. Um, Boaz is a wealthy landowner, and Ruth actually enters his field and starts picking up scraps to just start her life over, to help take care of her and Naomi. Um, so she does that. Ruth and Boaz end up having some interactions. They meet. Very long story short, they end up getting married. They have a baby, and they're actually in the lineage of Jesus, which is a huge privilege, huge deal, that um, God decided to put Ruth in the story of Jesus, a direct part of his lineage. And you can read more about that in Matthew 1. Um, So that's a really quick synopsis of Ruth. I know I didn't give it justice, but again, it's just the foundation. We're going to get a little bit more into each character as we talk about them specifically, but there's the overview. So we're going to start with Boaz. 
might seem kind of backwards because he's the last one in the story, so I know it might seem like, why are we starting with him? Me being a teacher and like loving order and everything, it like kind of hurt me a little bit to start with him, but I was like, oh, it works in the message better, so we're going to do it. So we're starting with Boaz, and he's going to represent relational abundance. Relational abundance. Boaz comes into the story at a not-so-great time in Ruth and Naomi's life. Again, they are starting their life over completely. They don't have husbands. They don't have kids. They have nothing. They don't have basic needs like food. But Boaz is at this point, he's, he's a wealthy landowner. He's established. He's kind. You see that he's compassionate to Ruth. When Ruth starts to come work in his field, he notices Ruth. And he's heard about Ruth. He's heard about this woman who has stayed with her mother-in-law through difficulties, through heartache, and is trying to make the best of it. So he hears about her character even before meeting her. And he approaches her, and he says um, this to her. So this is Boaz talking to Ruth. Do not glean in another field. Furthermore, do not go on from this one, but join my young women here. Keep your eyes on the field which they reap and go after them. Indeed, I have ordered the servants not to touch you. When you are thirsty, go to the water jars and drink what's the servants draw. So Boaz here not only offered Ruth the respect of a conversation, um, again, she's a woman, so we've talked about here at New Story that women at that time were were seen less than men, but she's also a Moabite woman, so she's a foreigner, which really does not help her case either. And Boaz knows that, but Boaz looks past all of those, all of that information, and even though he owed her nothing, even though none of that, um, he, he didn't owe her anything, he still gave he gave. We see in that conversation, he gave her a place to get food. He gave her protection. He cared about her, even not knowing her, not having any, at that point, connections that they were aware of. But he said, hey, here's someone that's starting something new, that's in need, and out of my abundance, I'm going to give. I'm going to give to her. So I want us to look at Boaz and think of our own lives. Where have we been blessed lately? Where have we maybe been Um, given a little bit more in abundance, and we can say, hey, this is a really great blessing, and I'm able to give to someone in need, to give to someone in a supportive way, to do something out of the norm, to someone who doesn't deserve it, to someone who might not even have asked for it, but I'm going to give. You're not off the hook if you're sitting there thinking like, oh, that's super great. I love the idea of giving. That's so great for people who have extra to give out of their extra. Wonderful. Woohoo! Go team, go. No, no, no. God actually calls all of us to give and all of us to be open-handed with what we have. So even if you're sitting there thinking, I don't really have anything to give. I don't have skills. I don't have money. I don't have time. I don't have anything worthwhile to give. Well, everyone has something to give. Everyone has something something to give, whether it's on a large scale or a small scale. We are all given something that's valuable and can be an aid to someone else. Maybe that is time. Maybe that is money. Maybe it's something else entirely. But we all have something that's worthwhile to give, that can give support, that can give encouragement, and can help someone in their situation. So we, we just talked about eight days of hope, right? That is an insanely great example of... Um, And I'm not just saying that because I'm working for them now, but Eight Days of Hope is a great example of how we can use our skills, or for people like Scott and I, our limited skills, to still serve people with what we have. 
news story. As a church, we have seen you time and time again be willing to put your guests on the table and give in incredible ways, whether that was serving with the Goodness Project, Kenton Closet, giving financially to the families that were directly affected by the Tops shooting, coming to the Kenton Christmas tree lighting event and handing out chocolate suckers. Time and time again, we see the heart of New Story being generous, being someone that, being a people that want to give, that want to be involved, that want to help however we can. And we're so grateful for that. And we want to encourage that. We want to continue that. We're not stopping here as a church. We are continuing to want to give and to serve. Obviously, ties very closely to our first core value of service. But just like Boaz, who, who owed Ruth nothing, who... Need, didn't need to do anything for her. He gave, gave, and gave some more. I want us to be a church that, like Boaz, give, gives, and gives some more. So the next person we're going to move on to is Ruth. So Ruth is going to represent relational stability. Her story is much different than Boaz. As he was established, he was wealthy, he was, you know, well off. Ruth enters the story marrying a man who shortly after dies, unfortunately. So obviously she's going through her own mourning process. She's working through the emotions of having to let go of the dreams she once had with this man, of the adventures she hoped to have, of maybe having a family with him. She has to let go of all of that. And that's a very difficult thing I've never personally walked through it, but some of you I know have, and it's, it's something that, it's, it's, not, it's not light, it's not an easy thing to do. Yet, Ruth still didn't stay in that sorrow, in that hurt. She was relationally stable. Um, we see that Naomi approached Ruth when her husband had died and said, hey, Ruth, why don't you stay in Moab, stay with your people, stay with your family, I'm going to go back to Israel. You stay here. There's better options for you. You can get remarried. You, this, this is what you've always known. Just stay here. And Ruth says, no, absolutely not. I'm not staying. I'm going with you. And then I was like, no, no, no. It's, it's really better for you to stay here. Just stay, stay, stay. And, and Ruth absolutely refuses. Scripture writes down what she says. These are very famous verses of words of Ruth. She says, Ruth says to Naomi, do not plead with me to leave you or turn from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you sleep, I will sleep. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. It is not really ever easy to think people first above ourselves. It's so natural for us to think, me, 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 my needs, my needs, my needs. So even when we're in a healthy state, it's difficult to think others first. But here we're seeing that Ruth is actually thinking others first when she's not in a quote-unquote good spot. She had just lost her husband, yet she's thinking, I'm going to stay with you. I'm going to cling to you, Naomi. We're going to be a family unit. We're, we're sticking together. I'm going to walk with you through this. That's not to say that Ruth didn't care. That's not to say that Ruth wasn't hurting. That's not to say that Ruth was just like, eh, I'm just going to ignore my emotions. I'm going to suppress these things. I'm going to, in an unhealthy manner, ignore my own needs to help others. I'm not saying that. I'm, I'm definitely not saying that. We're, we're going to touch on that a little bit later in terms of unhealthy levels of like working through our own vulnerability and everything. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is that even when it's difficult, we see with Ruth, even when we're overwhelmed, even when we're experiencing loss, even when things are just not going well in our lives, 
we can still be a person to reach out and help someone that just needs a hand to get up. Even when it's difficult and we feel totally overwhelmed, we can still at times, not all the time, but at times be someone to lean on, be an ear to listen, be a shoulder to cry on. And we see that with Ruth and Naomi. They wept together. They had that relational and emotional connection to mourn the incredible loss that they were both working through. But you also see Ruth going out and meeting tangible needs by gathering food to feed her and Naomi. This, is, this isn't a light thing. I think I always looked through this book and just thought, oh, Ruth's a great person. She's incredible because she was willing to work through this loss while still caring for her mother-in-law. That is notable and that is, that is commendable. Um, it's easy to look at Ruth and think, oh yeah, I know people in my life like that. People have done that for me. And to think, oh, well, that's great for them, but that's kind of something for a pastor or maybe somebody like in the healthcare field. They help people. Teachers do that sometimes too. Okay, no, 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 no. This isn't everyone all the time, but the Ruth we're talking about here, the type of person we're talking about, can be everyone and should be everyone. We are all able, again, just like Boaz, to give something. So if that's not time, money, whatever, we can lend a hand to someone in need. We can do that for other people. Let's think about that reflectively. When was the last time that you were that person for someone? When was the last time that you went out of your way? You gave up your time. You gave up your resources. Uh, maybe it was something financially. Maybe it was using your skill to serve someone. When was the last time that you did that for someone? If, if you've never done that or if it hasn't been recently, why not? It can be a lot. Sometimes you might be thinking, I don't even know where to start. But it's just little things to pay attention to the needs around us so that, like Ruth, we can be a help to someone else in need. Uh, some of you, probably a lot of you, have noticed we've essentially had a baby boom here at News Story. So uh, careful drinking the water, guys. I don't know what's going on. But we've had so many women have babies, and they're all healthy and beautiful, and we just celebrate them, and we're so thrilled for those families. Um, but I was speaking to Sarah, one of the new moms. Uh, she hates that I named her, but I did get her permission, so it's okay. Um, I spoke with Sarah, one of the moms, and she was expressing to me how she's so grateful for the moms and the way that they've been helping her, as well as the way that she then in turn can help those moms. And so um, she gave me her thoughts and was kind enough to let me share them, so I'm going to share them with you. All right. So Sarah says, New Story has not only been a great place for community as a couple, but also when we welcomed our first baby. From reaching out to us to sending us meals, we felt so cared for and supported from our family at New Story. If I ever have any questions or concerns, I know I have multiple moms to reach out to for help, support, or even just shared experience. They say it takes a village to raise a child, and we are so thankful to have a village like New Story. Oh, every time it gives me shivers, it makes me so happy. Um, but this is, this is a current day example of Ruth. 
Sarah is a current day example of Ruth, the kind of friend you want in your life. And Scott and I are so especially grateful for Sarah and Rafi as personal friends that have been there more often than not. Rafi oversees our outreach team. He's on our pastoral care board. But those two are incredible. And, and these words and this experience shows that Sarah is, she's not walking through loss like Ruth was. But for any moms in the room, you know that Sarah's walking through a lot of firsts, a lot of changes, some adjustments probably, and she is still thinking, how can I help these other moms? How can I serve them? While they're also thinking, how can I help Sarah? So she's helping them, they're helping her, she's helping them, they're helping her. Do you see this cyclic pattern here? Do you see this back and forth of support? How one another are leaning on each other and giving an equal amount of help and support. That is what we want. That's what we want to see. That, you know, when, when sometimes we need a little bit of help, I'm going to lean on somebody else or they're going to lean on me. But when there's that equal pressure, you're balanced, you're stable. So it helps establish relational stability. We see that in that group of moms, which is so wonderful. And, and some of you might be sitting here thinking, yeah, that sounds amazing. I would love that. I don't even know where to start. I don't really have a close group of people here. I, I don't really know the needs around me. I, I don't even know what that looks like, so I don't know. I have a great option. Story groups, story groups, story groups, story groups. So we talk about this all the time at New Story because it's something so important to us. Like this group of moms, it's just a natural thing. They're not even an official story group. But our story groups meet regularly throughout the weeks at different places with different people, and they live life together. They learn about Jesus, they talk about life, they have fun, they do things together that are just for a good time. And, and that's what we want for all of you. It, it might be, you know, maybe a scheduling thing, but we're gonna have several new groups open up at the end of August, early September, and we're having some existing groups open up spots. So I really wanna encourage you, get plugged in. Our story groups are the best place to build relationships, to make connections, to be real with people, and to grow with one another. You're with other people that are helping you live in your new story. That is what we want. So story groups, story groups, story groups. Please, please, please talk to me if you have questions, if you have anything you need. We really want to see you get plugged into that because we firmly believe in story groups here. Now, in saying that, I'm well aware that joining a story group can be very intimidating because you're hearing me say this and you're thinking... Oh my gosh, okay, well, if, I have, if I'm making better connections with people relationally, does that mean like I have to let them into my life? Do they have to know things that are going on? Do I have to be open about my secrets? Okay, wait, is there going to be like accountability? Like what is it like, uh, 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 and suddenly you're like, okay, you know what? I'm just not going to do it. <laughs> I'm not going to do it. I'm kind of freaking out. I don't like this. I don't want to be real. It's scary to just be myself. And I can totally relate with that. We mentioned earlier about Ruth and how she did not, in an unhealthy manner, just suppress her own needs to help others. But unfortunately, my story group can tell you that sometimes that's my story. Sometimes I'm the person in my story group or in any circle that I just feel like, uh, I don't think I'm really going to share that. I, I, I don't want to share my questions or my concerns because then if, if I'm not 100%, then the other girls in my group, who are they going to talk to? Who are they going to go to? I need to have it all together so they know they can come to me. If I was really honest about this thing over here, 
they might find it petty. They might find it dumb. Or maybe they'll think, you know, it's just something a pastor's wife should be above. I'm the leader of this group. I'm married to Scott. I speak on stage. I, I, I can't possibly enter any circle and not give this facade of, I have it all together. Okay, obviously I don't have it all together. And my story group has been absolutely incredible in helping me see that there's a better option. So obviously Scott speaks truth into my heart as well, but it's so nice to have added voices to come alongside me to say, you know what? I know you might be afraid or you might be concerned or it might feel risky, but there's a better option than to just hide. There's a better option. And sometimes I can't even find the words to express like that fear inside of me and it gets me all like, and it probably doesn't even make sense when I'm mumbling up here, but my story group 100% understands what I'm saying because we talk about it all the time. And I am insanely grateful for them. I owe so many thank yous to them. Um, but I was listening to this song, and for those of you that don't know, I am obsessed with musicals, um, like a lot. And Scott has mentioned that before, but if you didn't know, it's important to know, because I'm about to quote a musical. Um, I didn't quote a musical on my last message, which was maybe opportunity missed, I don't know, but you can't force it. So I did find it perfectly in this message, it fits so wonderfully, and we're not gonna get into the background of the musical, because it's totally irrelevant for this message, but the words in this one song speaks so beautifully to some of the emotion that sometimes is present when you're a little afraid to be vulnerable, right? So this is actually from the musical Dear Evan Hansen. Some of you may or may not be familiar with it. Um, again, we're not going to get into the details. But if you haven't seen Dear Evan Hansen, it's glorious. I would be thrilled to watch it with you, but you just need to know a few things ahead of time. So if I'm watching any musical, which it's like a rare group of people I watch musicals with, because you'll hear why in a bit, but um, I will 100% be singing through the entire thing. And I have a decent voice, but I am no Joy Collada. Uh, so I will be 100% singing through the whole thing. With Dear Evan Hansen, I will be crying through 98% of the thing. So there's a lot of songs that I would be singing and crying simultaneously at the same time. So if that sounds intriguing to you, you're like, yes, sign me up. Okay, talk to me after. Let's watch Dear Evan Hansen. I own it. It's gonna be great. We'll get some ice cream, popcorn, whatever. It's gonna be so fabulous. But Back to what we're talking about, because you're probably now thinking, how at all is this relevant to the message? She's going off on a tangent. No, it's relevant. So track with me, guys. So the main character in this uh, musical is at like a really self-reflective, not a great phase of the movie for him. And he says these words. No, I'd rather pretend I'm something better than these broken parts. Pretend I'm something better than this mess that I am, because then I don't have to look at it. I don't have to look at the mess, and no one gets to look at it. No, no one can really see. I never let them see the worst of me, because what if everyone saw? What if everyone knew? Would they like what they saw, or would they hate it too? Will I just keep, keep on running away from what's true? Because all I ever do is run. So how do I step into the sun? Do you, do you hear that? I'd rather pretend I'm something better than this broken parts, pretend I'm better than this mess, 
If everyone saw, if everyone knew, they'd push me away. I couldn't be close to them. They wouldn't accept me. They would hate me like I hate the junk that's in me as well. Do you hear the underlying fear? It's hardly underlying. It's, it's loud. It's clear. I'm afraid. I don't want people to see me. I don't want people to know the real me. It's overwhelming. It's intimidating. There's too much junk here that people can't handle. My story group has helped me see that that is 100% a lie. There is a better option. Jesus offers us freedom. Freedom from the fear of opinions that other people have. Freedom to connect with people on a deeper level. Freedom to have real relationships. Freedom to be yourself that you don't have to be afraid of the junk or the issues that you're bringing to the table because there are people here who want to walk alongside you and say, you're not alone. You're seen, you're accepted, and we're going to be right here next to you to help you. And when you can't stand, we're going to lift you up. When, When you need an extra hand, we're here. We're a call, we're a text, we're a story group meeting away. There's going to be bumps along the road. There always are, right? When people are involved, there always are. But if your hesitation with joining a group or connecting with people is that fear of, I have these secrets and I'm not not okay to share them. Please learn from my experience. I've been with my story group for two years now, and it has taken a lot of honest conversations, definitely some tears, because that's just me, um, to, to realize that it's not healthy. It's not helpful to hide my questions, to hide my doubts, to hide things that are going on with me. So maybe this message can help you realize, hey, I'm gonna gonna start taking, taking down some of these walls. Maybe not all at once, maybe not with everybody, but little by little saying, maybe the risk is so worth the reward. And I would say it definitely is. The reward far outweighs the risk. So I would encourage you to take a step today, take down some of those walls, have a conversation with me or someone else about a group because they are worth it. It's worth it to be in community with people for them to say, hey, I'm here for you. And you can then say, hey, I'm here for you. And that's what we have the opportunity to do in story groups, to to better ourselves and create relational stability and even relational abundance at times with one another. So we're going to finish up talking about Naomi, and she's going to represent emotional exhaustion. So we've gone from emotional abundance to relational um, stability to now relational exhaustion. Naomi obviously starts the story off with her husband and two sons shortly after she doesn't have her husband or her two sons, and she's only with Ruth. It's a lot. I can't begin to imagine the heartache that she's going through. And we see, we already discussed how Naomi was telling Ruth, hey, why don't you just go back home? And we talked about how that was out of kindness, and I do think it was, because she did love Naomi, or I'm sorry, Naomi loved Ruth, and so she was saying, hey, Ruth, just stay with your family. Ruth didn't stay. She went with Naomi. I was thinking about it more. This is just speculation. This is not... This isn't some, scripture doesn't lay this out. I didn't read some amazing scholar. Like, this is just Kim Lackey's thoughts. But I, I think it's fair to think in this situation there's more to Naomi's situation. I think Naomi not only was telling Ruth to go back to her family because it was a kind suggestion, 
I also think Naomi was pushing Ruth away because she had a completely empty emotional tank. Can we understand that and relate with that a little bit? Sometimes we're just so drained, we're so empty, things are so dark or so aimless, so hopeless, that being around people, specifically people who might remind you of the great loss you've walked through, it's just too much. That can be, unfortunately, so relatable to us, and we see that with Naomi. I, I think that's a reasonable thought is that she was just done. She had nothing to give and knew, hey, Ruth, I'm not going to be this great mother-in-law that you need. Just go back to your parents. Go back to your home. I'm done. I have nothing to give. I'm just exhausted. Loss takes us down, took took Naomi down. Loss takes us down a road we never want to be on. Loss takes us down a road that redefines who we are and redefines our future. And that, that's overwhelming. It's startling. It's so much new all at once. And we see with Naomi, her loss took her down a road that just took her back home to Israel. Her loss caused her exhaustion, and her exhaustion took her back to what was familiar, what was known, what she thought was going to be comfortable, maybe what she thought was going to be safe. Exhaustion, loss, all of that can do that for us too. Sometimes it might be better to take a step forward and progress even when we're hurting, but isn't it so much easier to sometimes just pause or even better, take a step back and say, hey, I'm just going to go back to the familiar. I'm going to go back to something that I know because it just feels safer. Maybe that familiar to you is, is a destructive relationship you always turn back to. Maybe it's substance abuse. Maybe it's just harmful habits that are not good for you. Whatever it is, sometimes our exhaustion leads us to things that feel safer and familiar, and we normally would say, no, those are bad things. But when you're so exhausted and you have nothing left, you go back to that. You revert back into those bad habits you would otherwise avoid. You convince yourself that the familiar is safer and will help bring hope, comfort, and healing when the familiar made you the exact opposite. Scott um, mentioned this verse. Before I get there, I just want to add one more thing to what I was saying. So as we're going back into our familiar, be excited, be confident, be encouraged that like Naomi, who was going back to her familiar, God sent her a foreigner, a Ruth, someone that she might not have expected. And that was what actually brought her the comfort and healing she needed. God may be looking at your situation. You may be backtracking into something familiar, into something that maybe is not helpful to you. But God is saying, hey, I'm going to send you your Ruth. I'm going to send you a foreigner, a foreign idea, something maybe out of the norm you weren't expecting, but it's going to be exactly what you need because that's the God that we serve. He provides in every situation, precisely at the right time, exactly when we need it, exactly how we need it. We can't control the timeline. We can't control who's involved. We can't control those things. But God is going to be present. Always. Scott mentioned this verse a few weeks ago, and I felt like it fit so well. It's it's 1 Peter 5.10. It says, After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace will himself perfect confirm, strengthen, and establish you. 
God himself wants to perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. The verse says, suffer for a little while, where suffering never feels like a little while, right? But God guarantees at the end of it, there is a light at the end of the tunnel. And not only at the end is there restoration, but in the midst of the darkness, God wants to send you a Ruth. God wants to send you a story group. God wants to send you a Sarah to be there to link arms with you and say, we're here. We're doing this together. You are not alone. Because God is a God that provides in all of our needs. Whether we're relationally abundant, relationally stable, relationally exhausted, you are not alone in whatever area you're in today. Whatever area you find yourself in next week, a month, a year, God is so present at the end and throughout. Always. We see it so clearly that With Boaz, Naomi, and Ruth, Christ used people. Christ used relationships. Christ used relationships and people then. He wants to use relationships and people now, today, for you, for me, for us. We can be the answer to someone's need. We can be the people to bring light in darkness. We have the privilege, as as Jesus continues to bless us and give us hope and renew our hearts and redeem our lives, we, we need to then go out to other people and help bring light to them, bring hope to them, help give their lives purpose, help people walk away from the edge, help people know that there's hope, help people know that whatever it is that they're walking through, this isn't it. There is something better. There's a better option that when we work together as a people, as a church, as a group, We are with each other till the end because God gives us people and God provides whatever it is. In this case, talking about relationships, he provided a person and he will provide someone for you. You are not alone. It's not too dark. It's not too deep. It's not something God can't handle. So whatever level you're at, relational abundance, give, 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 relational stability, work through in a healthy way your own, your own emotions, lean on others while also helping them. Or maybe you're relationally exhausted and you just need someone to carry you. That's okay. That's okay. We are here to help that. Let's be a people. Let's be a church that rallies around people, that has the freedom to say, we're not afraid of the risk. We're afraid of missing the opportunity to serve and be a part of God's answer to someone's prayer. You can be so much. You can be pivotal to someone while they're hurting. Let's be those people. Let's work together to serve and celebrate, to trust one another, to trust God, to give an outstanding effort, to chase after relationships on whatever level we're at, and to say yes to God, living open-handed, saying, God, it's all yours anyways. Let's be that as a church. Let's pray. God, thank you for this example.